your home is beautiful and the birds are singing outside and the sun is shining like this this is a good day is, oh no i love this time oh gosh so fun do you want it, the table the couch where do you want probably the table okay. to set up the microphones would be good this is michelle pomeroy with the right fit podcast keep listening because today's guest just might be the right fit for you Hello, so good to be with you. I'm really excited about what I'm sharing with you today. I want to introduce you to Karina Wolf. Karina is a clinical social worker and she works often with adolescents, postpartum moms, adults and couples. And in our interview today, we talk about grief as well as how to not lose ourselves by using boundaries. This interview I think is really going to touch you. I know I was really touched sitting with Karina. Enjoy. Let's talk about your story. Okay. Because I think you have a really interesting story. And I want and I want to know more about it. I know bits and pieces. Yeah. So as I ask that question, like, what's the first thing? How does your story start? Yeah. So I think, ooh, yeah, I think my story is a little bit full of curves. Yeah. That's how I, I see it. So I, I grew up in Brazil. I was born in Brazil. When I was a newborn, I was abandoned. Mm-hmm. And my mom, she was 50 at the time. She just heard mm-hmm. about this baby that was abandoned. And she went and picked her up. Wow. And uh, so I was really sick. I stayed in the hospital for a long time. And that's, that's kind of, so I grew up with really old, you know, uh, parents because my dad was 52 and my mom was 50. So everybody was out of the house. So she, your parents had had kids earlier? Oh yeah. Okay. So my mom had five kids of her own. Yeah. And then she raised seven more of her sisters that passed away. Like nieces and nephews? Mm-hmm. Wow. Her nieces and nephews. And then, but these were all out of the house. So my younger brother that was also adopted at that time, he was like 20 when okay. I came into the family. So everyone is out. She's having grandkids. I have two nieces and nephews that are the same age as me. We are just months apart. In fact, I'm the youngest. Okay. Uh. And, uh, and, and yeah, so I grew up there lived in brazil until i was 19 and then moved here wow didn't know a word in english but i just came (laughs) which which is so mind-blowing to me to consider like just going to another country that you don't know the language at 19. yeah so what well mm, even the stuff with your parents and your upbringing i think is so so fascinating what was it from your mom? I mean, she she had raised a ton of kids. Mm-hmm. Was she yeah. was she just wanting another child in her life? Was she concerned just simply because she heard that there was this that you were abandoned and that she wanted to take you in because you were abandoned? What was her motivation? Yeah. So I so this is kind of interesting because I didn't learn that I was adopted until well i didn't have confirmation that's what i should say okay i knew all along because there's no way you know as a teenager i'm like there's no way my mom 
could have give birth. Oh, okay. You kind of started putting those things I, together. Yeah. yeah. So I had that, but I was so afraid to to have the confirmation. Mm -hmm. So it was at 18 mm -hmm. that I learned for sure. Okay. But my mom, she didn't have any motivation. I think this is kind of where I even wanted to become, to go into psychology. Mm. It was learning from my mom. She's a giver. She, I would come home uh, multiple times and there would be a stranger literally mm. in our kitchen. And I'll be like, who, who is this? And she's like, oh, they just needed some food. So they are having coffee and bread with us today or they're having dinner. Yeah. And we were poor, so we were not a wealthy family at all. We lived in a one bedroom like it was four rooms all together the yeah. whole house so it's not that we had plenty to give but she always felt like if there's a need mm -hmm. and i can give supply that need so a lot of the times I, I i remember clearly going to my closet my closet my little dresser that was my whole closet and i would be like mom where are my jeans where where <laughs> she's like oh i gave it to somebody that came on the street today and they really wow. need it and so so i think her motivation really even in getting me it was that she didn't need more kids yep you know she had plenty going on in fact my dad didn't even know that she <laughs> was adopting me <laughs> It was. I it, mean, I hear people bringing home puppies. Yeah, you know? I was that puppy. <laughs> uh, not so much like, well, here's a kid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. she literally heard that this lady in the neighborhood had given birth and left the child, abandoned mm -hmm. the child. Mm -hmm. And I, I honestly don't even know that she knew that I had so many health problems because I was in the hospital for about 60 days after uh, okay. uh, I was born. Mm -hmm. I don't know that she knew that, but she just went and said, I'll take her. Amazing. And uh, and then she got a ton of ladies in the neighborhood to donate breast milk mm. for two months. And, and my dad tells us, well, before he passed, that he came home that night and he was just informed. We wow. were getting this, this girl. Wow. And that's... And it, says something about your dad like well was he okay with it do you know was he like yeah on board immediately or did it take some time for him to yeah. kind of adjust do you even know he from what i know he was fine in fact i am i, I have a very very close relationship with my dad mm -hmm. and everybody knows in the family like i was his favorite and uh. we had so it was so interesting that even though I wonder if it was the season in his life, you know, he mm. was older, he was kind of, you know, he had a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. So we did everything together. So I became, I was close to my mom too, but my, we were buddies. Like yeah. I, my dad would be like, let's go to the bank together. Let's go to the store. I, we went everywhere. So yeah, he was fine. I don't know that he was fine immediately. But apparently he accepted because he, yeah. my mom doesn't talk about, you know, dad was against or. Right, right. And, and I think, I wonder if at that point too, my dad just knew 
how my mom was. Like, mm-hmm. he was used to, you know, he raised seven kids with her, yeah. like, her nieces and nephews. It was her sister that passed away. Mm-hmm. So he already had that experience. I don't know. I wonder if in his mind was, okay, one more. Well, this is, <laughs> all right. Here we go again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. So 19 is when you yeah. made this decision. How did you decide to come to this country? I really didn't decide I got engaged to my husband. Uh, So he was an LDS missionary in Brazil. And then he went back and lived there for a little bit. Again, that's why I I say that my life is full of curves. Because he talks about being in the mission, in, uh, in the LDS mission for three months and having this strong feeling that he had to go back. Hmm. And he wrote home and told his mom, don't, don't take my savings and pay for my mission, uh, save it because I need to come back. I don't know what it is. I need to come back. Anyway, so he went back and we dated, I guess, typical Mormon LDS Mm -hmm. engagement. We dated and got engaged within three months. So the plan was he was going to school here. Mm-hmm. So he, we kind of talked and he said, it just makes more sense. You come, I finish school, and then we come, we go back. Mm-hmm. The whole idea was always there, to go back. There, okay. So the plan was to go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have. But it's been how many years? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we are going to be, this is, in two weeks, it's going to be our 21st anniversary. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And when you say go back, I'm assuming you mean go back to and, live. To live. Yeah. Okay, not, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We bought a place down there and everything to wow. make sure that we were going back. Because I do have a, a close family, mm-hmm. especially with my, my mom and dad. There was no question in my mind mm-hmm. that I'm coming, we are finishing school, mm-hmm. and then we are heading right back. What got in the way? Yeah. Life. Life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it took it took him seven years to finish his degree. Okay, yeah. Because he was working full time and just taking part time classes, and then once that I had children, I think mm-hmm. things changed for me. Mm-hmm. I loved going back home, and I loved being with my family. But I also i I come from a big city in Sao Paulo. So it's like the third biggest city in the world, population-wise. And there's something, a piece that comes that I can let my children on the street and I don't have to sit there with them and watch. Sure. It feels, I mean, we're sitting here in your home. It feels very safe here. Yeah. I don't know how long you've been in this home, but I can imagine that this could feel like a safe place to raise your kids and that and that that's what it really changed when when we had our first daughter we didn't live in this home yet we lived in west salt lake but even west salt lake compared to sao paulo mm. to where i came from the the yeah. very poor area that is still there's no comparison so it was so we just thought oh we will we'll just stay here mm-hmm. until she's six Right, and then we we'll, and then my son was born, and we'll stay here until he's six. Uh huh. And then things just kept going, and then once that my parents passed away, I just, I don't know. It it really, I I felt like I could have, I closed that chapter in terms of my need to go back changed, mm-hmm. and all along I felt, I knew why I wanted to go back because of my parents. And it was your parents that were home, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. How long ago did they pass away? 
So my mom has been 10 years and my dad passed away 2013, okay. April of 2013. Mm -hmm. yeah. from, from illness? From my mom passed away from Alzheimer's. Yeah. Was that a long process? Yeah. Or did you kind of lose her she, gradually? Yeah, she lived. They say that Alzheimer's has all these phases. She lived to the very last phase. So she she developed Alzheimer's the two years after I moved here, so 2002, and then she passed away in 2010. So it was a long, a long yeah. process. And my dad passed away three years later. I really believe a broken heart. Because he had lost his he wife? He had lost his wife. Oh. That was, you know, after she passed away, he really didn't leave the home. He would only leave the home when we went down there, when I went down there, mm. and he would leave with me. We would oh, go to wow. the beach house. We would go places. Other than that, he would only leave to go to the doctors and come back. He just really yeah. lost this part to live. So I think, I know, I don't know. I believe that he died of a broken heart because yeah. he literally was just sitting and passed and that, away. And I, I believe that that's possible, yeah. honestly. That's... Yeah. Um, our feelings and emotions are really tied to how our body functions. I think it, there's a very literal, in fact, I have a friend that um, lost her brother mm. and her mom was um, diagnosed by the doctor of some syndrome that I don't know the name of it, but it was literally like broken heart syndrome. Like there was something happening with her heart. Mm -hmm. I don't know, can I yeah. ask what it was like to lose your parents? Oh. Actually, what is it like to be in this world? without both of your parents? Oh, that's such a good question. Because I feel like, you know, people talk about grief. And I think in society, we just put like this timetable for grief. Mm -hmm. And I can say that it hasn't been a day that I don't think about my parents. Mm -hmm. It has been over 10 years for my mom. Every day I think about them. Mm -hmm. And some, if sometimes it's just a memory, sometimes it's a pain. Yeah. And it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. I never thought that I would have to do life without them. And, and I knew, like, growing up, they were older. You know, my mom was a week short of turning 80 when she passed away. So yeah. it's not that she died. They were young. Young. Yeah. But, you know, in your mind, your parents are going to live like your children. They are not they're going to live that's how i thought and and to me was i feel like to this day one of the most traumatic experiences of my life mm -hmm. besides having my son be sick and almost pass away as well losing my parents was mm -hmm. the most traumatic experience of my life i just lost who i was for a long time mm -hmm. i don't know if i've heard many people talk about grief in that way kind of the loss of yourself mm -hmm. that touches me yeah you know I think because I don't know if if you feel this way but I turn to my parents for a lot yeah. and not even with problems I would never call them with problems from here because I didn't want to worry them yeah because right. you can't do anything from you know across the ocean but just if I had a bad day, I would pick up the phone and I'll call my dad. Mm -hmm. And just hearing him talk about 
trivial stuff that's happening. It yeah. would just center me. It would sure. just put my life into perspective. And my mom, too, she had such a, a way of looking at people. You know, people were always good in her eyes. Mm-hmm. Always good. So whenever I would be like, mom, so-and-so, and and she's like, well, I wonder if they were having a bad day. Or That's you beautiful. you mm-hmm. can just, you know, just forgive, turn it to the Lord. She was Catholic. We, I grew mm-hmm. up Catholic. Um, but she just had a, a different perspective that I, I thought, oh, life it was all about with us it was all about creating these ties with people with community with your family and nothing else mattered i mean we didn't have money so i don't know that she knew that there was anything else but that was the most important thing to to her so yeah i feel like i lost my essence and in fact when my dad passed away i went to a, to the doctor couple of months after I think it was around my birthday so my dad passed away in April I went to the doctor in, in August just for a checkup and he said you were severely depressed and that shocked me because really? I thought what I'm not depressed uh-huh. I'm fine he's like no you are severely depressed hmm. and he put me your medicine on antidepressants and I took them for two years and that really I don't know that really it changed it changed me too because I thought who at first I was angry mm-hmm. who is he to tell me I'm severely <laughs> depressed <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then I I saw a difference on my life I was angry I wasn't I didn't feel I was depressed it didn't show up like typical depression yeah. it sounds like yeah but yeah anger I was angry all the time mm. I was angry at people I was angry at God Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I had lost my mom, and then the year after, I had lost my niece, that was my best friend, and then I lost my dad, mm-hmm. and then eight months later, I lost my brother. So it was oh a year, you know, four years of. So I was just very angry and questioning God and my faith and my beliefs. I never thought of depression. Mm-hmm. But anger was big and understandable Mm -hmm. so understandable yeah wow a lot of grief yeah do you do you do grief work much with clients I do yeah I do and I think when I when I do grief work my main goal is just to normalize that grief may take one week may take one month it may take 10 years and they are both equally fine Mm -hmm. and there's no rush to heal because i think healing it's a process i feel Mm -hmm. in so many ways that i'm still healing well you know when you were talking about still thinking about your parents every day or i think that's how you said it Mm -hmm. feeling feeling things having memories i just had this thought like would you want it different would you not want to think about your parents every day? No. I wonder yeah. if some I wonder sometimes if grief keeps it alive. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard it said that grief is a form of love. Oh yeah. You know, they, it keeps them with us. I absolutely believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have their picture right there on that wall and I oh. look at it every day and I think of them every day and and that's how, you know, at first when I thought of them shortly after their death, it was a kind of grief that was too painful. 
it was an anger grief i feel i yeah, feel like right and now it's it's a longing grief mm-hmm. it's a loving grief it's like the memories that i have even this morning uh, a, a memory popped up on my phone it, it was just a picture and i remember that picture because i was talking to my dad so i don't remember why we took the picture but i was like oh that was i was talking to my dad it was Mm -hmm. a sunday i don't even need to look in the calendar it was 2013 i was talking to my dad so um so that's the the grief i feel that i have it's it's more like oh Mm -hmm. this felt so good i remember that feeling that i had that sunday talking to to him it's more a longing a loving and i just i miss you you know yes it makes me think about my own relationship with my own parents and Mm. you know it puts things in perspective i think sometimes when we have our loved ones here with us we can feel a lot of things toward them or about them it makes me kind of just think about that Mm. like i don't know how else to say that shift it a little bit Mm -hmm. um and do what I can to have the relationship I want with them. Mm-hmm. I think after losing my dad, and, and my, I say my dad because he was the last one, but, and then even after almost losing my son, that's exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. My perspective really changed in terms of if I have to choose between career, money, and one day with a loved one, yeah. I take one day off a loved one. Mm-hmm. And things that used to bother me before, yeah, it doesn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. It, not that it doesn't bother me. I guess I should. I, it's just that I, I feel like I have a, a, a different perspective of it. Yeah, It bothers me in the moment. And I also think, how this is going to be a memory. Like my mom giving away my pants. I mean, as a twelve-year-old, <laughs> I was you really wanted those mad. pants. <laughs> I only had like three or four. It's not that I had a whole closet, right? right. But now it's such a loving memory because yeah. it's just really who she is, and that's really how I even see my children. You know, like things that drive me crazy right now. I'm like, this is this is gonna be a memory. Yes. And I wanna put in my memory box. And that's how I wanna remember this, not as the anger response. Right. So I really check my response now. I guess that's that's what it really taught me. Like my response matters so much. And I, yeah, I would do anything to have one more day. One more day. One more day. What would you do? What would you do if you had one more oh, day? I have thought about that so much. I actually would just sit and talk. And that's what I did. So after we moved here, we made a point of going to Brazil every year. And we did that for 15 years. I, I was here for 15 years before he passed away. And sometimes we would go multiple times a year, mm-hmm. which I felt was such a blessing. A lot of the times we we wouldn't pack our days. We wouldn't do tourist stuff in fact yeah. my husband says for 15 years we went to brazil and we didn't see brazil <laughs> right. which is true well you weren't going back to see I, brazil right <laughs> yeah and my dad has this wooden bench and it was a, a bench that sat in in outside of our house and i would sit there with him for hours mm-hmm. and just talk about 
anything and everything. Yeah. People that went by the street because we could see the street and people that came and, and went and we would talk about like trivial stuff. Mm -hmm. I would cut his nails. I would just, I would rub his skin. I loved rubbing his old, you know, wrinkly hand. <laughs> and uh, we would just sit yeah. there sometimes in silence. Mm. And that, that's what I would do. I would just sit with them. I, I can't help but wonder, like, I see you, I hear that that was important to you, to have that time oh. to sit. And that's what you do for work, is sit yeah. with people and you talk with them. Yeah. <laughs> and and I also appreciate you got a lot of your mom's heart, this wanting to help. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think there's another career in the world um, that longs to help people more than a social worker, yeah. um, wanting to make the world a better place, relieve suffering, mm -hmm. help those who are struggling. Do you feel that? Do you feel that you have some of your mom's heart? I do. I do. You know, I, I felt that for, I think, even as a teen, people would say, uh, you look like your mom physically <laughs> yeah, right yeah. and I thought no I don't but then I would start looking for physically uh, like you know traits traits yeah. that I'm like yeah maybe I do but um but then the older I got the more I have learned that I'm so much like her even the things that drove me crazy about her as a mom I am like that and I have this I have this belief as well that people are just good. Everybody's yeah. good until they prove me wrong. And my mom was like that. Yeah. You know, you are good until you show me otherwise. Right. And I think I got that from watching her. Mm -hmm. There was never a judgment on those, the homeless people that we gave clothes and, and food, never money, because we didn't have any, mm -hmm. but there was never a judgment. It was never, why are they here? They must be on drugs. There was, they just need. And I have something that I can give. And that was the end. And uh, so I, I, I feel like that to this day. I, I really, even if a judgment comes, I try to check it because I'm like, they are where they are because life threw them different curves. You know, they took different roads and it's neither good or bad. It is what it is, so. Well, you, you mentioned responses. Like you learned a lot about how you respond mm -hmm. through all of this grief that you've been through. That every behavior makes sense and they do it for a reason. Mm -hmm. talk, talk to me about this. Every behavior, as unhealthy as it might seem, makes sense and they do it for a reason. Yeah. I think that we pathologize everything right oh you do this because you're a narcissist you do mm -hmm. this because you're borderline i don't know maybe that goes against even what we are taught in school i believe people do what they do for two things first because they have a trauma response mm. right it's a it's something that has happened that they have learned how to cope with and usually traumatic mm. uh, or sad and they have learned how to cope with and they develop these patterns, this, these 
I don't know, skills or behaviors mm -hmm. to cope with that, that pain, with that trauma response. As unhealthy or healthy that behavior is, it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. why they do it. Nobody just starts to harm themselves just because you're bored. Right. right. It comes from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. And what I'm hearing you say is it comes from trauma, mm -hmm. hardship, sadness, pain. in the past, pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the past, in the present. Yeah. So I, I don't know when people present behaviors to me, it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. and, and I often will say to them, if I were in your shoes, I think I would do this exactly the same thing. That's how I would cope. Because it makes so much sense why you would do this to relieve this pain or to not feel that pain. A lot of the times we are just escaping from pain. We just don't want to feel it yeah. because it doesn't feel good. Yeah. So you, you acknowledge that it makes sense, mm -hmm. but you also acknowledge that it's unhealthy. Yeah. So how do you go from unhealthy behavior or unhealthy responses to responding in a way that you want to or that's better or healthier? How do you help clients do that part? Yeah. I think the first step, I feel like it's, it's a series of little steps. I think the first step is to, step is to have awareness that that behavior it's no longer serving you, right? I like how you say that. It's not helping. It, maybe it's helped in the past, mm -hmm. but right now it's not working. Maybe it has helped get you through this hump, whatever it is in life, but right now it's not serving you. So how do you want a behavior to look like that will serve you at this present moment? And that's where I even, I love do, it's introduce coping skills to clients and introduce little things that they can add to their lives to make it better. It's not about, you know, changing who they are, mm -hmm. um, but it's getting a, um, how do I want to say this? It's getting the best version of themselves out. Mm. And you help them uncover that for themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you want it to look like? Mm -hmm. I like that a yeah. lot. Because I think a lot of times our behaviors don't line up with our values. Mm -hmm. How do we take these behaviors that make sense but are unhealthy mm -hmm. and not serving us and changing them to healthy behaviors that line up more with who we want to be and what we value? Exactly. Right? I think the more in line that we live with our values the less distress we have, mm. right? Because a lot of the times we, especially women do that a lot because we are givers and we have this human giver syndrome. I think Emily Nagoski talks about yeah, the, the she does. human giver syndrome and it's so true. I saw in my mom, I see in myself. And sometimes we, in order to give to others, we put our values aside. Mm. And that brings a lot of resentment, mm -hmm. resentment in ourselves, resentment towards the other people that we are serving or supposedly to be serving. And, and, and we lose a part of ourselves right. when we don't align with our own values. How do you, how do you do that for yourself? Because you are 
like that that giving heart you have that mm-hmm. you're in a profession that you give a lot yeah how do you not lose yourself i wow that's good i have lost myself mm. that's the honest true i in the past even couple of years three years i have done a lot of work on myself with boundaries and that really has changed my life because i thought of boundaries before as a kind of a selfish thing it's something that just to serve me and by serving me i couldn't serve everybody else they're selfish right that that's kind of the story maybe yeah or the old story right the old story <laughs> mm-hmm. and the new story is no by serving me i can therefore serve other people because it's not your job to serve me right it's my job to fill my own cup i can't expect that from my spouse from my friends from anybody it's my own job to do that so creating boundaries really has changed my life and in all honest truth i even i lost friends i uh, some relationships changed with families because they were like but you weren't like that before right they resist it they yeah there's a lot of resistance and that's where the power comes in where you really hold into those boundaries when the resistance comes and uh, so i think i have aligned myself more with my values the more steadfast maybe that's i don't know that's the word i want to use but the the more i use my boundaries the more i live within my my values would you be willing to give maybe a simple example of what a boundary looks like what a an effective healthy boundary for you Mm. Let me think. Let's see if this works. I I often tell people, I I like it to make it really simple. Boundaries really is what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. Like if I were to define boundaries in a very simple way, it's simply what's okay for you, what's not okay. So if you are in a situation where people are speaking unkindly to you, do you sit there because that's what's expected or in your mind you already have decided that's not okay then i have already made my decision prior to that situation that i will not allow somebody to speak to me that way but you can't control them i can't control them but i can control me exactly so i either leave the situation and it has had times that i have said I can see what you're saying, but I don't allow people to talk to me like that. So when we are in a better place, we can continue this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I just leave. What value is it that that boundary is keeping for you? To me, you teach people how to treat you. And me sitting there, it goes against my value that I am worthy to be talked to in a respectful, kind way. So if I sit there, that breaks that wordiness. Mm. Or at least fractures for sure. Yeah. So I'm going to hold into my worth because it's not your job to. Yeah, that's... I don't know if that answered your question. That's really good. No, that's really good. You're speaking to a few things here that 
clients come in seeking. Mm-hmm. I think you probably hear similar things to, to that I do. They want skills. Yeah. They want tools. They want to know um, how to have better boundaries. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really big strength of yours, that you're able to help people find those things that they're seeking mm-hmm. and kind of give them what they want. Mm-hmm. Um is that important to you that you're able to like give them what they want? I don't know if it's important to give what they want, but to me it's important to help them find what they want. Because I think there's power. I when I hear a client, usually within a few minutes I'm like, "Oh, yeah, we can do this, we can do that." But if I tell them that, it really takes away their power. It does take away their power you're right yeah so my job is really what I try to do is to guide them to find what they need and when they discover that then I say well there's this tool would you like to explore that because if I just give it to them they won't even know if that's what they need or not mm-hmm. I'm doing them a disservice really mm-hmm You know, a situation comes to mind that I actually reached out to you to consult about recently um, where, you know, we get get people coming in Mm -hmm. and saying, tell me what to do. Tell me. And I think it can be really easy to feel like we want to just give them the answer because we see their distress and we're like, we we fall into that trap of Mm -hmm. wanting to fix it, wanting to solve it. And so it takes like checking ourselves and... I really like how you put that. If we give them the answers, it does them a disservice mm-hmm. because they lose their power. Yeah. It takes away their power. And it's probably more important that they feel like they have the power mm-hmm. than the answer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think people don't come to therapy to be fixed. They come to therapy to be found. Ugh. You've said a lot of beautiful things, but yeah. that is striking. They don't come to be fixed. They come to be found. Yeah. And they are searching for themselves among all that pain, all that, you know, the presenting problem. There's so much more behind that. And if we just start giving them answers here and left, it feels good at the moment. Yeah. But they can't find themselves. Mm-hmm. We're just fixing them. Yes. I think and that like wanting to be found, I feel like, yes, they're wanting to find themselves. Uh-huh. And they want somebody to see it too, right? Oh, yeah. That changes everything. It does. When you are seen. When you're seen. That changes everything. Yeah. So powerful. I have just felt so touched the whole time sitting with you. Oh, I feel the same way talking to you. It's beautiful. Like, I I feel tears coming, you know, to my eyes multiple times just listening to your story and understanding how that story brought you to where you are and that you have such you have so much to offer even back to this example of you know your family not having money to give mm-hmm. but they did see that they do have something yeah. and that you uh, you obviously have a big heart um, that you can give yeah thanks wait don't go Let me tell you where to find Karina if you're interested in working with her or if you'd like to send someone her way. You can find Karina through the EFT Clinic website 
You can also find her on Instagram at Karina Wolf underscore therapy. Boy, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you want to hear more interviews from your favorite experts and see if they're the right fit for you, follow me on Instagram at Michelle Pomeroy underscore therapy. See you next time. Actually, I won't see you, but you'll hear me next time. Bye.